following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or of observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to God, to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, dwelling on visions, puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. Thank you, Susan. I love that a healthcare professional got to read all of that um, biology. <laughs> I don't know about you, but for me, scriptures like that one hit a little bit different when you think about the cross differently. Uh, as I've encouraged you to do in this series, Reclaiming Christianity. And um, we were talking at our leadership team meeting after service last week about how much response there has been to this idea of reclaiming the cross and of reclaiming the Bible. And um, I mentioned to you last week, if you were here, that even just after the first week, I got a, a really overwhelming response to all of that. And that sort of continued after the second week. And so what we decided to do was to pause for a, a week. Rather than going right on to our next topic of reclaiming confession, we're going to do that next week. And today we're going to do um, a question and response. And I know it's a little silly, but I always call it a Q&R rather than a Q&A. Um, it's not so much to set the bar low, but just to acknowledge that <laughs> just to acknowledge that um, I really don't want this to be a model where one person has most of the answers and is able to supply them to everybody else. Um, and so I try to offer my spiritual and pastoral leadership in a little bit of a different way. I will respond to all of your questions, but I can't promise to have a perfect answer to any of them. So, if you have a question on Zoom, go ahead and type it in, and I will read that one out so the folks in the room can hear it. If you have a question in the room, just put your hand up, we'll send you the microphone, and then we're just going to, you, you hang on to it until the next person goes, and, and that way we'll, we'll get through this. Um, I've mentioned it now, but let me say it explicitly. The question that you ask is going out to the internet, right? Um, that means Zoom, and it means Facebook Live, and it will be archived on our Facebook group. I understand completely if you would rather not express uh, you know, certain types of questions in that way. So if you have an anonymous question, uh, my email is open right now, um, scott at artisanchurch.com. I will not read your name before reading out that question if you send it to me via email. All right? Whose question is going to go first? All right, so I've loved this uh, series, and you know I, I'm very excited to unearth many metaphors because there is no one metaphor uh, for the cross and uh, you know the, the shed blood of Jesus and all that. And um, I guess the biggest stumbling block in my mind to you know accepting all these other 
uh, analogies and metaphors is um, just the the historic interpretation of Jesus as the Passover lamb and um, just accepting all that blame and having to be sacrificed in order for that cleansing to to happen. So I love all the metaphors, but we can't ignore you know what the primary metaphor that's been used for so long, right? Yeah, thank you. That's a good question. So I'll I'll respond to the specific part and to the general part. Um, let me start with the general part, actually, which is you mentioned the historic interpretation. And this is something that I didn't really get a chance to say in that first week about the cross, which is that um, interpretations of the cross that assume Jesus is substituting for us in one way or another are... They don't feel new, but they are new, in the sense that that didn't really come about until about 1000 AD, and then it didn't really take its current form until the Protestant Reformation, roughly 1500, and then it didn't take its more Americanized form until, do you see what I'm saying? So the substitution idea, which is, in other words, that Jesus is receiving on the cross in some form what we ought to have received ourselves, was, was absent from the church's teaching for a thousand years. And um, that's kind of mind-blowing if you've only ever heard about the cross as Jesus being substituted into our place. But that's the truth. Um, so... Um, that's sort of a generalized answer. Now, you asked about the Passover lamb specifically. And my response to that one would be that in, in some cases, I think what we see in these like ancient stories from older scriptures being applied to Jesus is a worldview that understood salvation in one way uh, coming to understand the work of Jesus through that lens, right? So there's a little bit of a difference, I think, between um, a primarily Jewish culture having this collective spiritual and religious memory of the exodus from Egypt and the Passover. There's a little bit of a difference between that and modern you know, people who are Christian in a sort of post-Jewish way trying to understand it back through the Passover sacrifice and the lamb's blood being kind of spread over the doorways and that sort of thing. And then the other part that I would add to that is that it's, we would need to, I think, then consider not just the Passover moment, not just that one night, but the entire story of the Exodus, which is, as I understand Judaism, the Exodus is, is kind of like the big story for um, uh, for Jewish people even today. And so what else is in that story that can inform our understanding of the cross if the Passover uh, event is the start of Exodus and the cross corresponds to that in some way, then what's the, what's the rest of the Exodus look like for us? So did you see what I mean when I say I'll respond, but I won't answer? <laughs> um, but yeah, this is the kind of work that, and this, is, this goes into how we interpret the Bible too. This is the kind of work that we have to do with stuff like this is to, to not be satisfied with a simple kind of direct line analogy, but to think about how the whole thing blossoms into something and then has roots that go down that we can't see and all of that stuff. So um, hopefully that's helpful. Yeah.
And uh, whoever has the next question, Jesse will pass the mic to you. This is probably more a, there's probably whole classes on this that, so don't spend too much time on it. But so if that, that kind of interpretation didn't spring up for a thousand years, for 1500 years, what did they do first? And why did, why did this stick? Mm. So you said, what did they do for the first thousand years and why did this stick? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, what they did for the first thousand years, in part, was what I tried to preach two weeks ago. Right. Um, and uh, why did it stick? Well, so the first version of, of substitutionary atonement, I'm so sorry to drop that really theologically nerdy term on you, but that's just the, a phrase that means understanding the work of Jesus on the cross as a switcheroo, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, the first version of that was based on a... Um, a kind of medieval feudal system uh, of honor, right? So that there's that sin was uh, was a dishonoring of God and needed to be needed to be um, corrected in some way, and and Jesus receiving that correction on our behalf was. Um, it doesn't make sense to us now because we don't live in that kind of honor based society. But actually, that sort of atonement view does t- get some purchase in cultures that are more honor-based than ours, interestingly enough. Um, and then it was, you know, in the kind of Calvin era when the judicial version of substitution became the prevailing one. In other words, this is like a, a, a spiritual court system where we um, are guilty of a crime and need to have that crime punished, and Jesus takes that punishment on our behalf. So even the original version of this substitution looks different from what we're used to now, which is why I made the distinction between the two. Um, I, I don't know why it stuck. Um, you just took the mic from a historian. Maybe he can help you with that. But um, uh, I hope this is not just cynicism speaking. But with me, you always have to be open to that possibility. Um, I think that kind of thing sticks because because we like we, this we like the visceral kind of blood and guts sort of thing. I think American culture particularly is is addicted to violence, and we like a violent atonement because we like a violent everything. Just think about which, when you see the, the little TV thing come up at the start of a show and it lists the things that you're going to see, which ones, when your kids are in the room, if you have young kids, do you go, uh, it's probably going to be okay, versus which ones do you go, oh, no, 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 right? We're much more okay with, with violence than sex and so forth. So I don't know. Again, that might be a somewhat jaded and, and cynical view, but I... I think there might be some truth to it. I don't know if that helps. Who's next? Just so in coming into a series like this, a lot of us go from being okay to being confused, mm-hmm. and then hopefully back to okay. How long did that process take for you? Wow. Well, 
I was fortunate enough not to have somebody dump the whole thing on me all at once. <laughs> um, so I began to be exposed to it a little bit in college and seminary. I got more of it um, when Artisan affiliated with our soon-to-be former denomination, which actually uh, one of the things that we love, loved and I still do love about the Evangelical Covenant Church is that they... Um, they view the atonement not in that um, penal, judicial, substitutionary way. So I got a little bit of it there when I was doing my orientation classes. Um, I got more of it when I started reading the work of certain authors. Um, and that was really the, the best way for me to sort of digest it on my own, at my own pace was in the reading of those books. So, I mean, the process took... In some ways, it's taken my whole adult life, but it's been probably more acute in the last 10 years, I would say. And I'm still trying to plumb the depths of it a little bit. You know, it's like there's, there's always more to, to learn and different, you know, depths of understanding. So, um, yeah, I, ho- I hope that's uh, helpful. While you're passing the microphone, I think we have a, a, another one in the, in the middle aisle here. Maybe to um, somebody responds on Zoom to Aaron's question, saying there's also a simplicity to the judicial version that is alluring. The older version is much more nuanced. It's harder. That takes more work. It's much easier for a much wider range of people to latch onto the more simple black and white version of things. And and that's a better answer than I gave to that question. <laughs> Who's next? Yeah. Um, uh, for my question, I wonder if we could pull up the the slide again with the verse that Susan read. I wanted to look at something in there. Are you going to look for a preposition? A <laughs> preposition? <laughs> if you don't, um, I'll show you. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, the previous one, thanks. Wait. Yeah, there it is, that one. Okay. He, uh, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. So in the sort of traditional narrative, or, or at least more, more recent traditional narrative that we're trying to um, let go of and, and wrestle with a new understanding. A, a big part of it is is this notion that the cross was an act of victory over death, victory over sin. And I wonder if you could speak to another victory in there that's maybe even more relevant, and that's victory over empires mm-hmm. and the aspiration of empires and how those aspirations might seek to infect our faith mm. and, and how the cross uh, played a role in in addressing, addressing that. Yeah, it sounds like you have a sermon. You want to? <laughs> um, wow, I love that. Yes. So when I, when I say, and then, and here I was sort of um, repeating something that uh, Brad Jersak said in an interview. Uh, when I said in the first week, the, the version of the gospel says, God sent the son into the world and we murdered him. Um, what he means by that, and what I would mean by that, is that uh, our systems murdered him. And those, those systems include empire and include religion, right? So the, the religious authority structure and power structure conspired with the authority and power structure of the state to execute this person who preached and taught and enabled 
the, the beginnings, of what seemed like the beginnings of an inversion of that power structure, right? And they thought by killing him, they were going to put an end to it. And instead what they did was empower it, right? This is part of the gospel that I would preach, uh, which is to say that these principalities and powers, these systems and structures which exist to control and oppress people are obliterated and made foolish by the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And that by, um, not so much by like accepting that into your heart, but by letting that em- like completely captivate your heart, the world is saved in, in part by people like you and me having our complete worldview, our worldview completely, our worldview completely changed by this. By this, and and don't forget the resurrection, right? Um, this conquest over that constant uh, pressure to dominate and control, and this inversion of the power structure so that the weak become strong, um, let the poor become rich, and 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 on and on and on, right? I stopped. I don't know, I'm not even sure I've connected to your question anymore. You've got me preaching. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, thank you. I, I think that when you catch that vision, it can be really, um, really beautiful of this, ex- this deeply rooted exodus and this subversive nature of truly following after Christ in the, in the life, death, and resurrection. Yeah. Um, but when you catch that, it can also be incredibly depressing when you look out into the world. And you mentioned being jaded and cynical. Um, this week, when you see images of refugees being whipped by people on horseback, and you say, like, I'm doing the good I can in the spaces I'm in, in, in the world, the small spaces I live in. But then you see that and the implications of this violent worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, that is rooted in the violent um, understanding of what God did to his own son. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with that hmm. sadness, that jadedness, that cynicism? Hmm. Thanks, Kyle. Um, one day at a time. I mean, that, and some days are better than others. It's really true. Um, the day when I saw that image was not one of the good ones. And yes, you are alluding to a fact, I think, which parallels something that Dominique Gilliard said in his book, Rethinking Incarceration, which is that the, some of the problems we have in our criminal justice system, in our, our border patrol system, and elsewhere, are not just like next to the evangelical Christian worldview. They sprung right out of it. They are the natural fruit of it. And that can be really depressing. I mean, forget jaded and cynical. That can be just like... Yeah, that can make you want to toss the whole thing out the window. Um, and so my way of combating that is to stand up here, sit up here, and, and do my best to preach what I believe is the, the deeper truth, and, the, and certainly the more beautiful truth. And your way might be different. Um, and some days my way isn't quite enough to make me feel all that hopeful. Uh, but, but most days it is. And I try to do it one day at a time. And I, I, as anybody in recovery can tell you, and I'm, I'm not, but anybody in recovery can tell you that one day at a time is how it, it can work. It does work. 
Um, let me take one from Zoom. Well, uh, I think there was probably another hand in the room. Um, when talking with different Christians who are working through or deconstructing or figuring out their faith, it feels like people get stuck on all the things that they have learned previously. The theological nitty-gritty slash muck. <laughs> what would you encourage us to focus on, to hang on, to hang on to in order to get us, to help us begin to get unstuck, get through? <clears throat> yeah, in some ways that question parallels, parallels the one that Kyle just asked, I think. I mean, it's a, a, they come at it from different places, but... In, in both cases, it's a question about what do you cling to to get through? What, what do you look to, to to kind of make it from one thing to the next? And I suppose I would say that for me, a part of it is, um, well, as I alluded to when I, when I came up here right at the beginning of this, and we had just heard that passage from Colossians read, and I said, doesn't that hit a little differently when you think about the cross in a different way? And for me, that has been so true, and it's been one of the things that does energize me from day to day and week to week, which is to go back through the scriptures with different lenses on, right? And here, here I'm pulling it all together. Um, thinking about the gospel and the cross in a different way, and thinking about how you read scripture in a different way, it means that you, you can basically start over, and you can... Um, you can go to passages like Colossians 1 or Philippians 2 or 1 John 4, some of the ones that we've had uh, read in our services during this series, and you can see them just opening up you, and expanding your, uh, your capacity to receive this beautiful gospel um, more and more. And you can go back to a verse that was used to shame you, and it suddenly enables you and empowers you. You can go back to a verse that you thought was just such a stumbling block to your Christian faith, and you can, you can read it in a different way and find that it, in fact, has the opposite effect on you now. Right? So um, what I would focus you to, encourage you to focus on is, is not necessarily something new, but maybe a new way of focusing. Right? I hope that's helpful. Um, so there is an anonymous question that just came through via email. Um, uh, when looking at the cross in this different perspective, what new or restorative beauty and hope have you found? Um, so much of it is, is, I mean, everything that I've been saying now. For me, the idea of the power structures being inverted is, is incredibly beautiful and empowering. Um, the idea of, of self-sacrifice was something that was always taught to me in the Christian context, but it, it just lands so differently for me thinking about Jesus' self-sacrifice being for this, this purpose of salvation as understood differently. And I will be talking more about that in a couple of weeks when we get to reclaiming salvation. Please pray for me as I prepare that, prepare that message because in some ways that one is, is going to be huge. Um, and 
And uh, I guess I would add to that in sort of hearkening back to my answer to Jesse, some of the stories from the Hebrew Bible, from what we call the Old Testament, which seemed uh, just barbaric and ugly to me, are, I now see as um, restorative and beautiful. And so that's really, really helpful um, to me. So I'll keep, I'll keep kind of trying to unfurl the beauty as we go through this series. Um, it strikes me that we've heard from a lot of men... Uh, and three hands just went up. <laughs> so, um, could we pass the microphone to uh, a, a female identifying person, please? So, about the Word of God, do I just read the red words? <laughs> because those were delivered from God to God? How, how, you know, and how, how is it that the Catholic Bible has all these extra books mm. in the library? And then there's a whole book of other books. <laughs> yeah. Where did they come from? And, yeah, I have enough to read with the standard <laughs> Bible that we have here in the pews. Yeah. Thank God. But how does that all fit in? I, I just don't understand... You know, some people say John is the really important one to read mm. and forget everybody else. Mm. Start there and don't worry about it. Yeah. Thanks, Alicia. There's, there's a lot in that question. I'll, I'll do my best. Um, we are going to go just a little bit long, but um, Jesse's told me that, you know, when the weather's nice and they can be outside, that that's okay. So <laughs> I hope I won't take her up on that too much, but I don't want to cut off... Yet, um, uh, where to start with the Bible? I think is part of what your question is. Do you just start with the words of Jesus? In other words, the ones in red, the letters in red. I mean, that's a, that's certainly a way to do it. And I have I've preached fairly consistently over the last several years that Jesus is the the true Word of God. Is what Jesus Jesus is what God has to say. And so, following the teachings of Jesus and interpreting all the rest of the Bible through the lens of of a, of a Christology of 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 Christ's work, especially on the cross, is the way to read the rest of the Bible, in my view. So yes, all of that. Um, as to where to start, it, no, I don't think John is the best one necessarily. I like the Gospel of John a lot because it's it's very kind of philosophical and somewhat trippy. Um, <laughs> and it's also extremely anti-empire. And if you read the Revelation of John and, and, and get rid of all of the, like, scary snuff films from youth group that are in the back of your mind, you can... <laughs> You can read that as, or you can you can read the gospel, the revelation of John as the most like subversive anti-empire screed possibly imaginable in the first century. So, yeah, you got to skip youth group. Lucky you. No, youth group was fun. I loved youth group most of the time. Um, the the uh, Catholic uh, Bible we we sometimes refer to as the um, uh, the apocrypha. Uh, they would refer to it as the deuterocanonical books, the second canon. They're, they're contemporary writings with some other scriptures, some other scripture books, or books in the scriptures, and it's just a question of how it was decided which ones would make the final cut, and you can read them and be edified by them. You, you could let them go and not, not have to worry about it. And then, of course, yes, there's all kinds of other spiritual reading you could read. In some ways... 
the view of the Bible that I've been talking about a little bit may seem like it's leveling that out, like uh, these other spiritual readings are just as good as the Bible. I, I don't necessarily mean to say that, um, but it, but I do hope that it opens up for you and for others a, the, the willingness to take in inspiration from other places as well. Um, and then we are people who are shaped, I, I hope, somewhat by a biblical worldview, which is a phrase that it has a lot of baggage that comes with it. So it's one of those things that can, it's sort of like a chameleon phrase. I can make it mean whatever I want, and so can the pastor in the next town over, and, and we both better be careful about that. So, sorry, that was very rambly. Um, is there another question? Yeah, is that- I, as I say, I think there's two of us. Um, first, I want to say thank you for, for doing this, because I know it can sometimes, from my experience, it can feel like people will keep coming up with another thing and another thing and another thing. And it's very hard to answer when you've spent years processing this and someone wants an answer in that moment. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm going to is the part of the verse right before what I read is you were dead. Mm -hmm. You were dead in your trespasses and enemies of, of God. And yeah, we can talk about different ways to read that, but there's so many verses that not to, to, I'm going to use the word broadly here, but almost triggering. And mm-hmm. and you say like, how do you start reading? Like the person in the Zoom said to add on that, just how do you start reading that in a way that doesn't immediately go to the way you were brought up to think of it? That doesn't immediately create an us and a them. And it's I get that it's a process, and I get that it takes years, but it's hard to even read those passages because. I immediately get defensive. Yep. Yep. Thank you for sharing that. that. That's a somewhat vulnerable thing to share, and I appreciate that you did. One of the things I said last week, um, and before I continue this answer, I'll just say we'll hear from, I think it's Diana in the back, and then one from Zoom. And I, there are some that are in my email that I can't get to. There's some more in the room that I can't get to today. We're going to do another Q&R after the, after the fourth topic in the series, so three weeks, I guess, from today. So um, I'm so glad that I did this because clearly there's demand for, for this kind of thing. One of the things I said last week was, you know, some people might not have wanted to hear that, but, but it was to say, if you can only feel those triggers, to use your term, when you come to the Bible or certain parts of the Bible, um, I actually think it's okay to set it aside for a little bit, Right? And I sort of flippantly said the church did fine without a printed Bible for 1,500 years. That's true. Um, but they weren't doing fine without Scripture itself, right? That, that you would hear the Scriptures read in public worship and so forth. And, but there might be a little hint in that, right? So if, if, if um, the A part of the verse that you read the B part of is, is one of those things that feels hard or difficult or painful... Um, you can start at the B part, right? Now, that's not going to... You're, if you're doing an in-depth Bible study, that's not an okay thing to do. You really do want to have the whole picture. But if you're just looking for inspiration from God, I think it's okay to be a little bit more careful about what you read. I, you know, I'd probably get fired in some places for saying what I just said. But <laughs> the truth is, there was a season in my life where I did not read the Bible. And it's in part because of the reasons, for reasons that are just along the lines of what you've just said. I had to have some of the other stuff repaired 
in my heart and mind before I could return to it. And if you need that too, it's okay. Please keep, please keep coming and being part of our experience of God together. And I hope and pray, and it would be one of the deepest honors of my career if it were true, that that repair can happen for many of you in this place so that someday you can return to this beautiful sacred text and receive from it what I believe God wants to give you from it. But you might not be ready for that just yet in the same way that somebody who's just had surgery is not ready to use their um, you know, maybe replaced joint or their repaired um, body part right away. You have to do physical therapy for a while first, and it hurts. But if you skip it, it's worse. So I'll, I'll stop there. Um, let me... Um, hear Diana's question and then this one from Zoom. I know that there are others. Um, I'm sorry, yes, I did see this hand in the, in the back here too. All right. Um, if you need to leave, just uh, God bless you and have a good week. But <laughs> I'll do my best to be a little bit more brief with these answers. I hope that you'll forgive me, those of you who asked the questions. Go ahead. Okay. Um, my question is, like, especially during these times, um, just the thing also that I've been, like, just sort of grappling with for the past five years is um, how do I balance some things like civic responsibility and individual liberty? Um, when people that I've known and gone to church with for, like, 15, 20 years have just come at it from the complete opposite side, I'm just having trouble understanding that. Yeah. Well, that's a. That, thank you for asking that. That's a big question. One of the things Dennis talking about is balancing personal responsibility with civic participation and responsibility. And then also, I'm hearing in your question what I think a lot of you in the room are resonating with, which is that you have this whole life worth of people around you who who see the gospel and the Christian religion and the Bible in a different way, maybe in the way that you used to, and you're kind of wondering how to navigate that. Oh, boy. Um, I would say gently and with patience as much as you can when it comes to navigating those older relationships where maybe there's a difference of opinion now or a difference of worldview even. And that goes for all kinds of problems in our society right now. Right. Um, I don't have to mention, you know, the the extremely polarized views that all of us have about, let's just say, COVID nineteen as one specific thing, and and many of us are are, you know, might be dreading the Thanksgiving Day table because we don't want to have that argument, and, you know, in my view, when it comes to that question, as when it comes to the religious questions, this is a matter of life and death. It's not that everybody's opinion is equal. It's that the people who hold the right opinion have the keys to saving the world, and the people who hold the wrong opinion are impeding that. It's pretty hard not to turn that into a big blown-up argument when you think the stakes are so high. Take a deep breath and realize that even, even if that is true, and I think it is, but I try to hold my truths loosely because they have changed sometimes, even if that is true, what is gained by my blowing up at somebody who has a different view? What is, is that more or less likely to persuade them to this life-giving view that I hold now? Well, the answer is, it's a rhetorical question. Of course it's less likely. It's just going to make it worse. Now, if you are a person who is not actively harmed by, by the views of somebody else, your job is to, 
is to get into that space and to have a gentle and loving conversation with them and, and not, to, not to put them on blast, right? Now, I understand if you're a person who is actively harmed by a view that you don't have the luxury, and I am not placing on you the responsibility to be gentle with people who have views that are harmful to others. Those of us who have privilege and standing and are not affected by it, man, it is our job to do that. Now, this is going way beyond what your question might have been, Diana, but, but in this case, to bring it back to the, the realm of this kind of spiritual religious question, I would say do your best to let the fruit of the Holy Spirit blossom and, and grow in your life and share as often as you're asked and trust God to, to love and care for the, other, for the people who maybe aren't where you are just now. Hope that helps. I'm going to read this one from Zoom, and then uh, we'll have one more from the, from the room. And I, I'm so sorry to those of you who ask questions, who want to ask questions, and, and we, we've, out of, we've run out of time. But um, Beth says, I think there is as much undoing necessary in rethinking and being open to a new way of interpreting Scripture as there is bringing in that new way. I mean, giving ourselves grace to unravel current or old ways of thinking. The same grace needed to undo cisgender mindsets uh, while being open to full gender inclusion or grace in undoing racial bias and supremacy in our own white minds and hearts while also engaging in racial justice. Um, I'm going to take that as a beautiful, enlightened comment and not a question. And uh, thank you for, for typing that out and um, talking about your deconstruction in that way. I, I think that's helpful to others to hear. Okay, I think we have one more question, and I can't see who that's... Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, So if we want to dive deeper into this, and I know this has been a lifelong journey for you, Mm -hmm. so it may be difficult to distill this down into a handful of books, but do you have any reading that you could suggest to us on that matter? Thank you for that great question. As a matter of fact, I put together a page on the web for our website this week. Um, I just forgot to hit publish, so I'll have it. I'll have it ready for you within a day or two, I promise. And then um, I'll try to remember to put it in the e news this week. And if if you don't see it, just come and ask me where to find it. Um, but it's going to be resources for each of the topics. So I'll give you. Uh, uh, I'll repeat the two that I did last week for the first week, and then I'll offer two for last week. <laughs> These are just books, and then if you want to talk about podcasts or um, <clears throat> YouTube videos or whatever, we can go way deeper. But for Reclaiming the Cross, I would recommend the book A More Christ-Like God by Brad Jersak. Um, and I have a much more academic collection of essays, if you're interested in that kind of thing, called Stricken by God? Question um, mark, Referring to a passage in Isaiah. Those are both excellent resources. And then I also mentioned last week uh, James Cone's book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, which is a black liberation theology interpretation of the cross in light of uh, the lynching of black people in America, comparing the, the, these types of, of public execution. And it's very powerful. And for, for those of us who think of ourselves as white, um, it's very challenging, but really, really wonderful. And then uh, resources for the Bible. I'll give you two books that I think are really, really excellent and worth reading and, and very readable books. One would be Inspired by uh, the late Rachel Held Evans. Um, and the other is What is the Bible by Rob Bell. And, I, and, and I've just triggered all the, all the conservatives by <laughs> making, 
mentioning these two names. <laughs> but they're really, really good books. And they're very approachable and readable and, and extremely helpful. And they both offer examples, kind of case studies. So it's not just like um, theoretical. It's, this, is, this is how I read this passage as an example of a new way of reading all the passages. So those four resources um, for the two topics we've done so far. And then I'll have these on the website along with other stuff. And then we'll talk more resources in a few weeks. All right? Thank you so much for your wonderful questions. Once again, I know there's, there's at least three emails I didn't get to. I know there are comments in the Zoom chat that I didn't get to, and there's a, n- a number of you who were kind of trying to raise your hand, and we just couldn't get to you. We're 15 minutes past the hour now. Um, and uh, it's wonderful to be and enlightening to be uh, exposed to each other's questions, and, and I hope that this was as meaningful for you as it was for me. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.